welcome to Hive Mind, the weekly podcast from... Well, how does it go? <laughs> welcome to, welcome Hive, to Mind. Hive Mind, the weekly podcast from the Beehive about the latest and greatest in pop culture. I'm Meg Walter in, on Zoom today with Eli McCann. Good job. Hey, Are we Eli. going with that? <laughs> yeah, why not? You did it better than I would have. Not true. How are you doing? I was just watching lots of TV on this, my Thanksgiving week. Tell me what you've been watching. I've been watching a few things. So I started The Last Tsars on Netflix. Have the you Last seen this? Tsars, as in Tsars. Russian Tsars? I yes. have not seen it. Tell me about it. It is the weirdest freaking thing I have ever seen. So I was really excited about it. It's about the Romanovs in their last 30 years. Okay. Yeah. Should, should like be good. Anastasia's era? Yes. Okay. Anastasia, yeah. I think it goes up until the death of, you know, the Romanovs, including and Anastasia. Russian history is your jam. I love Russian history. Love it. And I, I especially love Soviet history, but like, I'll take some SARS here and there. Yeah. Uh, so this is the weirdest freaking thing. They try, they're trying to both be a mini series like The Crown, but also a documentary. So like there will be there will be like a five minute like mini series type you know drama whatever and then all of a sudden there are historian vo- voiceovers and the historians are the weirdest freaking people I've ever seen they're like the Tsar really loved being with his family out in the countryside and it's like the weirdest so it like it's kind of jarring to watch because it just like keeps okay. pop- popping back and forth between both and it's like no. Nah, be one or the other. And it's not like, you know, a lot of um, documentaries will show like brief kind of reenactments of what historians are talking about. It's not that. It's like you're watching a regular miniseries with like character development and a lot of dialogue. And then all of a sudden it's a documentary for a few minutes. And then it's like back to that. It's not very good. There's a weird amount of sex in it, which is like Netflix just trying to draw on an audience, I think. And it kind of bugs yeah. me because it's like not really relevant to the plot. I don't recommend it. And I'm really disappointed in that because it looked like content that I wanted. I'm sorry. Yeah, me too. Skylar and I watched the Pride and Prejudice starring Kira Knightley. Skylar had never seen it. Mm-hmm. What a great rewatch. That just uh, yeah. is like, that movie is like having a warm blanket wrapped around you. And I know everybody's like, no, like the nine hour miniseries is a thousand times better. Watch that one instead. But I only want about an hour and 45 minutes of Pride and Prejudice. And so this works for me. Yeah. Here's the perfect time to watch the nine hour BBC version. The week between Christmas and New Year's when no one's doing anything. The excitement of Christmas has like worn down. Everyone's just kind of hanging out. No one's getting any work done. That's when you sit down with all of the female relatives in your family or the males who are open-minded and you pop in those VHS tapes, all four of them, and you just plow through it. Those are some of my happiest memories. The Kira Knightley version, fantastic. It's lovely. Yeah. And so I... I I say this as somebody who's never watched the nine hour version. I don't know. It's, I don't think it's actually nine hours. Is it like four or five? No, I think it's, I think it's about six. I'd have to look it up. It's, it's really great and it's really fun to watch, but you definitely can't do it in a hurry. So (laughs) you need to have, you need to have not a lot going on. Okay. Uh, I watched last night. I watched the Seth Meyers uh, standup uh, special on Netflix. It's new. Have you seen it? Not the lobby baby. 
Yeah. Oh, that one? Is it not new? I thought it was new. Oh, it's been out a while, but how was it? Oh, shoot. Uh, I like it. I'm I'm kind of neutral on Seth Meyers. I don't like Mm -hmm. or dislike him. Uh, And so it it was good. Like it it was sort of struck me that Seth Meyers is kind of between the Seinfeld generation and the John Mulaney generation. And Mm. there are parts of his act that feel relevant to now and parts of his act that feel a little bit like, oh, you're kind of a boomer. And so like- At least a Gen Xer. He's a, I think he is a Gen Xer. Um, he's in his upper forties now. And, but like it does, he does feel very between two generations. And so there were parts of it that I was like, this feels outdated. You're, I think your, your up days maybe are kind of behind you in as much as they existed ever. Um, but it was fun. I would recommend it. And he does kind of a fun thing that I like seeing uh, people who are putting together these specials and playing with the platforms that they're, they know their special is going to be on. So he knows his special is going to be on Netflix. So he has this whole segment where he's like, I'm now about to start doing some political jokes. So if you don't want to hear political jokes, hit skip politics now. And then like a thing comes up on Netflix that you can like skip politics. And then he gets through his, all of his political jokes. And he's like, okay, the people who skip politics are about to come back in. So I need everybody to laugh very hard so that they realize they missed something very funny, you know? And so then he gets this yeah. huge reaction. It's fun, like, so I like seeing them play with that kind of thing. And so it was fun for that reason. And then, Meg, I tried to watch Hillbilly Elegy. Oh my gosh. Have you tried to watch it? I can't get anyone it? to watch it with me. And like, I don't feel like it's a movie I can watch alone. It is one of the worst movies I have ever seen. What were you expecting going into it? Okay, so we we like heard that it was a, about it. I've never read the memoir. I haven't read the book. Yeah. We heard about it. We heard Amy Adams was in it. And what's her name? Why can't I not? Glenn Close. Glenn Close. And so I was like, oh, Amy Adams and Glenn Close. I'll watch any movie with those two in it. You know, and it was just like, surely this will be good. Ron Howard directed it. Like, surely this is going to be good. Yeah. And so I just thought it was going to be like this like really compelling thing with good acting and whatever else. We start watching it and like the first line is narrator voiceover and he's like, people ask me where I'm from. No. I like to tell them I'm from where the dreams and hopes die. It's like the most like cliche cheesy. And so we're like, we start it and we're like, okay, well like let's, you know, I'm sure it'll get better. It just gets worse and worse. The writing in this thing is atrocious. The whole thing is written like a middle school play and everybody's like yelling their lines at each other like they're in a middle school play. We made it about a little more than a third of the way through. And I was to the point where I was like, I can keep watching this because this is so bad. It's entertaining. But Skylar was like, I'm done. I'm not spending more of my few hours on earth on this thing. So we turned it off. I've seen a lot of people are really mad about it on social media because it, and and I, I can see this, it comes across like, rich people writing a story about what it must like to be, be like to be poor. And it's really weird. Like they, they treat the main character. Like he is basically comes from homelessness when in reality, he just kind of comes from a normal house, 
but his mom has some like issues and then he mm-hmm. ends up going to Yale and like all of the, the way the rich people kind of like treat him is so unrealistic. He's like sitting across the table with a bunch of lawyers. And when they find out that he does not come from a wealthy family, they don't know how to interact with him anymore. And it's just like, <laughs> this is so stupid. Like nobody has ever had a problem like being like, oh, you're, you're from Kentucky. What's it like there? Oh, how neat. You're, oh, your parents were coal miners. Really? Yeah. So are they still working? Or are they retired? You know, like it's nothing like that. They're like, oh, Kentucky, huh? And then they all like get shifty eyed and like just start eating their food. And they're like, we don't know how to talk to him anymore. <laughs> and he's like so distraught because of how horrible his life is. And it's like, dude, you're at Yale Law School. Like calm down. Your life is fine. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I hate Hillbilly Elegy. And if anybody loved it, I would love to hear why. But I don't think anybody, I don't, well, Ben Shapiro on Twitter loved it. Uh, <laughs> I, okay. Just, <laughs> That's like, all I needed imagine, to know. Imagine if being part of a political party required you to like a crappy movie. Like that is, that's a bridge too far for me. I will say the day the Hillbilly Elegy trailer was released was one of the most fun days on Twitter because everyone, immediately knew it was going to be hot garbage and my favorite tweet about it said that this looks like the trail trailer for the rural juror (laughs) (laughs) it's like just big like you know very out of touch actors pretending to be from rural america okay i missed the trailer so maybe i could have saved myself a lot of pain yeah i was surprised when you texted to say you were watching it um he said Amy Adams. I mean, it's she's Amy great. Adams, uh, who is very deserving of an Oscar, just not this one, you know, mm-hmm. like give her a better project. We can do much better by Amy. Yeah. What have you been watching? Oh boy. Quite a lot, actually. Um, we watched Castaway because we've been mm-hmm. listening to the blank check series on Robert Zemeckis. That movie is so good. Mm-hmm. I had forgotten how good it was. I think I saw it once in theaters whenever it was released i think i was in high school and it's not a movie you like revisit a lot it's not like a fun romp but it is a very very well done movie i was surprised by how much i liked it on rewatch tom hanks man i just the treasure he's a real treasure we were watching the crown and princess diana died um and or sorry we were watching the queen because we had just finished season four of the crown and we were watching all of the british people's reaction to her death and Stephen said i don't get it do we have anyone like this who if they died in america there would be like this complete outpouring of love and sadness and i, I think tom hanks is the guy like tom hanks and dolly parton dolly parton yeah yeah. <laughs> um, really recommend Castaway. I watched The Fast and the Furious for the first time. Oh. I did not care for it. I <laughs> thought it was going to be like one of those movies that was like underrated at the time and is like surprisingly clever. And it is not that. It's just a movie about fast cars with people with bad hair from the 90s. So go ahead and skip that one. <laughs> did you watch The Great British Baking Show finale? Yes. Okay, everybody, If spoilers, if you haven't seen it yet, skip ahead a little bit. Okay. What did you think? I mean, I love Peter, so I'm pretty happy. I am yeah. astounded that Laura made it into the finals. She just managed to not be the worst on any given week. That's what happened. I know, but Ermine, 
you know? Yeah. Like Ermine was so good. And she had one week where she like kind of messed up one thing. Laura was a disaster every week. And I like Laura as a person. I think that she and I would get along great, but she did not belong in that final three. It's, it's a weird uh, setup for the show because a lot of competitive shows are you trying to make sure that you're, you know, the top, the very best. On this show, you just have to avoid being the worst on any given day. And as long as you're not the worst on any given day, and then you can show up and like nail it at the end, then you you can win the thing. And so it's very, it's a very weird thing. So what happens is there are so many bakers who I think are better that go home because they just have a really off day. Yeah. And it's like, eh. but you know, it is what it is. They, they're, they're playing for a plate. So who cares? I know. And of course I cried at the end. I was so touched seeing all of them go back to their lives and seeing Dave hold his new baby. Like it's a delightful yeah. show. Skylar is 100% convinced that Peter and his family are Mormons. He's like, that's a Scottish Mormon family, right? He does look Mormon. Yeah. <laughs> Skylar's like, Peter looks like everyone at BYU. <laughs> that's true. There's something about him. Uh, I'm going to look that up after this. Okay. This morning I watched Muppet Christmas Carol by myself on the couch. Yes. And does it hold up? That's amazing. It's the best. Of course it holds up. Did you watch the version that cuts out the musical I did. I did. And (laughs) I tweeted about it and there's a bit of controversy because it turns out some people really like that five and a half minute song. It's five and a half minutes in a movie made for children. A love song, like a sad love song. (laughs) And the whole thing is just her saying the love is gone over and over and over for five and a half minutes. And she's not even a good singer. It's so weird that that made it in. Well, I think it's kind of equally weird that it just like started disappearing. Well, I think that like it was so unpopular and people were just like, get rid of that. But I get it. You know what? I recently listened to this podcast about the sound of music and they were like, oh, um, Climb Every Mountain is like one of the worst songs of any musical in musical history. And I freaking love that song. So like, I get it. That song is amazing. And so like, I get it. Maybe that, maybe... The love is gone is your climb every mountain. <laughs> I mean, no, I don't like it. I'm glad it's gone. I just think it's like super funny right. that once it showed up on streaming, they're like, actually, you know what? We're just going to edit around this. And they do a great job. Yeah. <laughs> um, Ivy has finally gotten into Harry Potter. So we've been watching the Harry Potter movies, which aren't good, but they are fun to watch as a family. Yeah. So is she, is she, doing the books on tape because I think you uh-huh. said she was listening to them. So she listening to them and then watching the movie after. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. That's really cool. It's fun. It's been really fun for her to get stoked on a book series. Uh, and then for December, we decided we're going to cover Christmas movies and we started with Christmas vacation, national lampoons, Christmas vacation. Uh-huh. <laughs> Eli, tell me about your history with this film. <sighs> I, I grew up in a Christmas vacation family. You did? I grew, up, okay. I grew up in a vacation family generally. So like my, when I was growing up, like my dad's favorite movie was the original vacation, okay. which have you seen? Vacation? Uh, you know, I, I don't know if I've ever seen it beginning to end, 
but I've definitely seen parts and I know what it's about. Okay. It's so it, it was 1983. It was the first one. It's Chevy Chase. And what's the actress's name who plays his wife? I don't know. D'Angelo something. Uh, her last name is D'Angelo, I think. Anyway, uh, it's legitimately good. And it, it did very well in the box office. It was critically acclaimed. I think it, I looked it up this morning. It has 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. Like it wow. was a, well, it was a good comedy movie. It like, for a while, I think it held a record for box office like comedy. Um, and then they've made several others since then. They next did European Vacation, which is trash. And I think mm-hmm. you said you've seen that one. Yeah, I did watch that one on Comedy Central like one Saturday afternoon. Okay. And then Christmas Vacation, which did very well in the box office. And then they, they also did Vegas Vacation um, 20 or so years ago. That was pretty terrible. Um, I did see that one too. And it's very bad. Okay. So I grew up watching Christmas Vacation. I've never really loved it because I hate frustration comedy so much. Like Meet the Parents, where like the entire comedy is just one thing after another going wrong. It's not funny to me. It just like stresses me out. But I have a lot of nostalgia around this movie because it was like one that got played a lot at my house. So you having not seen it before, what is your impression as an adult seeing it for the first time? I hated it. I truly, (laughs) truly hated it. Uh And I think frustration comedy is a great way to explain it. I was just so stressed out for these people who would put themselves in these needless situations over and over and over again. And this movie felt so long. It's like Mm -hmm. a tight 90 minutes, but it's a slog. And there's not really like an overarching story. It's more just a mix of like slapstick and potty humor and I hate my family and young girls are sexy. Like it's just, it's just kind of gross. And uh, I felt very uh, frustrated. I felt very frustrated. I would take a whole movie about Julia Louis-Dreyfus and her husband living in that funny modern 80s house dressing in funny modern 80 clothes like give me three hours of that i don't care didn't get enough of those two but like uncle eddie hated it the grandparents hated it like it was just too much why did you invite these people into your home they're awful yeah julia louis dreyfus really is the best part of the movie in my opinion i think she is just such a delight and it's so funny as a kid watching this, we always knew like the Julia Louis-Dreyfus neighbor and her husband are the villains, you know, like they're the bad people. Watching it as an adult, I was like, no, I get it. Like their neighbors are terrible. Their neighbors are so inconsiderate. And all Julia Louis-Dreyfus and her husband are trying to do is just like have a quiet time at their house. And they're unable to do that because they live next door to Chevy Chase and he's awful. So like I'm on their side as an adult. Absolutely. So John Hughes wrote this movie and he yeah. wrote the original one. And he, I, I read an, uh, an interview about him this morning and he hesitated doing this movie. He didn't really want to do it because he didn't want, he kind of liked the, the original and wanted to leave it as it was, but he kind of yeah. got talked into it. And he later complained that all of the vacation sequels were just a vehicle for Chevy Chase to do random acts of physical comedy. And so he's just like, these aren't really 
fun stories anymore to me. They're just Chevy Chase like doing his Chevy Chase thing. And I know Chevy Chase has a reputation for being extremely hard to get along with. Mm -hmm. Um, Apparently they tried to get Christopher Columbus to direct it first and Christopher Columbus was like, I'm not working with him. Or maybe it was the other way around. Chevy Chase didn't want to work with Christopher Columbus. No, it was Chris Columbus who really did not want to work with Chevy Chase. And so he went on to direct Home Alone instead. A superior film. Absolutely. With with our queen, Catherine O'Hara. Yes. Um, I actually fell into an internet rabbit hole prior to recording this all about why Chevy Chase is really no longer working in Hollywood and all the people that he's upset through the years. And it's essentially everyone he's ever interacted with. Um, He's just an asshole. Like everyone who's worked with him has reported and said that he's violent. Um, He belittles everyone around them. He finds the things that people are sensitive about and jokes about it. Um, He belittles people in their careers. Like when Johnny Carson was retiring, he said, I wouldn't ever do what Johnny Carson does because I wouldn't want to talk to TV people for years and years and years. And of course he went on to host a failed talk show um terribly misogynistic um made a joke about an openly gay actor at snl and how they should do an aid sketch just like pretty reprehensible (laughs) things over and over and over and even dan Harmon on community they had a big feud none of his castmates liked him he's just not a nice guy and i wonder if that colored the way i watched Christmas vacation, knowing what a jerk Chevy Chase is. Right. Um, and and Randy Quaid, of course, has turned into such a psychopath. I mean, he's just like yeah. really gone off. The, and, and so it is kind of hard to watch those two people in a film now and just be like, yeah, I'm going to root for you and think that you're funny. I did. So I, I've heard over the years about Chevy Chase being so awful on set. I heard that there was a lot of drama with community, not surprised by that. Um, I read this morning that most of the cast on Christmas Vacation really had a good relationship with him. Okay. And it, it made me wonder if maybe some of those worst behaviors like developed more into the 90s and 2000s or something. Um, the, who is it that plays his son in this? It's that guy who's in Roseanne and like... Oh, and he's in The Big Bang Theory. His Big... name is not coming to my mind. His character is Dusty on the movie, though. Yeah. Um, it, it, uh, Johnny Galecki, is that him? Yeah. Sure. Anyway, he, um, like, he did an interview where he said, like, Chevy Chase, like, really mentored him during this film and, like, okay. gave, him, gave him more opportunities than he would have otherwise had and introduced him to, like, other actors so that he, to help him with his career. And so... I, it was kind of, I kind of got in my very, very weak internet searching this morning, I kind of got like a little bit of conflicting information about how awful Chevy Chase is. And probably the reality is that like, he's nice to some people and he's a total jerk to others. It's probably an Ellen situation, honestly. Where well, like, I wonder, sorry, go ahead. Well, just for, for every celebrity that you have that's, or, you know, person who's worked for, with Ellen, who is willing to say like, she was pretty terrible. Somebody else will tweet out and be like, she was nice to me, you know, and, sure. and, and where you end up is like, well, but if you're nice to some people and a jerk to others, like that still needs to be fixed, you know? Yeah. I, I do wonder if it was kind of him punching up a little, like 
he was obviously the most famous person on that set in that cast, right? And maybe it was when he was dealing with people who were a bigger deal than he was, like he and Bill Murray famously did not get along at all. If that's when those insecurities really surfaced and he act, acted inappropriately, that's obviously not an excuse. I just wonder if that was usually the situation for him acting the way he did. Do you know the guy who plays the boss on Christmas Vacation is Bill Murray's brother? Oh, no way. Yeah, the once old I, guy? Yeah, once I read that, I was like, oh, I can see that. Oh, that yeah. storyline. I mean, the whole movie is ridiculous, but like the fact that they tried to throw in that storyline that Chevy Chase doesn't get his bonus so the cousin Eddie kidnaps the boss. I was like, oh it's my so gosh, just stupid. end already. Okay, I do like this one joke, though, that I had totally forgotten about. It's when, you know, the whole movie is building up to Chevy Chase getting his bonus check so he can put in a mm-hmm. pool. And he's, like, very excited to get his bonus check. And finally, on Christmas Eve, he gets what he thinks is going to be his bonus check. And the whole family gathers around. They're so excited. He opens it up. He's clearly disappointed. And they're like, what is it? What is it? What is it? How much is it? And so he reads it. And it's not a bonus check. It's a coupon from his boss for the Jelly of the Month Club. Yeah. And he, he reads that and cousin Eddie, totally not understanding that this is a bad thing, says, that's the gift that keeps on giving all year. And that is a legitimately like funny setup and joke. And there yeah, are, I, did I, will, there. I will say like, this is not a movie that I enjoy rewatching. I have a lot of issues with it, but there are some legitimately good punchlines sprinkled in throughout this film and if you can separate the Randy Quaid and Chevy Chase of it all and just like enjoy some of those punchlines, it's fine. Like it, it's a fine thing to have. I mean, on. it's an SNL sketch that goes on 20 times longer than it needs to. Oh, that's really, that's a good way to put it. And yeah. I think there are people who enjoy that. I, a lot of people regard this as a Christmas classic. They all tend to be men who think that way <laughs> in my experience. So I don't know. It, I think it's some people's cup of tea. It's certainly not mine. Well, and it's definitely one of those things that like, if you grew up with this movie, you're going to have a different relationship with it than oh, if you sure. shot the first time. I mean, we, we all have that. I, I see movies that people feel like a deep connection to because they saw it as children and I see it for the first time as an adult. And I'm just like, how, how, you know, this is so terrible, but I've been on the other, I've been on both sides of that. And like, the reality is like you develop a relationship with a movie at a certain point in your life. And like, that will always be a part of how you view that piece of media. And so I, when you said Meg, that you wanted to do this movie and you had never seen it, I thought, Oh, I'm excited to rewatch it. And Meg will hate this. Like, I, it was just like, I just like knew that I'm like, Oh, her first exposure is going to be a woman in her thirties. No, this is not going to be something she's going to enjoy. I told Stephen we need to watch it. He's like, okay, you're going to hate it. (laughs) He was was right. I hated it. But like he also had a connection with it and he had watched it with his dad and they like laughed really hard in the basement. You know, and I I think you're right. I think that like a lot of Christmas movies, it's about the memories surrounding you watching it more than the actual movie. I, you know, I feel this way about um, A Christmas Story, which is a movie I've seen too many times in my life. Yeah. But like, I view that as like a good movie. And I have friends who didn't see it as children who watched it as adults and they're just like, ugh, you know? And and so like, you know, there's just, and I think Christmas movies in particular lend themselves to that kind of extreme response. 
because Christmas movies are just like this very special breed of films. And Christmas has so much nostalgia wrapped around it generally. So when you see a Christmas film as a child, you are going to develop an attachment to it that's different than an attachment you might develop with any other kind of film. And so, yeah, we, we end up in this like, this very, very polarizing world of Christmas films where like people, you either love it or you hate it. And a lot of whether you love it or hate it is going to depend on at what point in your life you saw it. I wrote in our newsletter this week, um, subscribe at hivemind.substack.com, that we need Christmas movies this year more than ever um, and that we need to start expanding what counts as a Christmas movie because you can count the good ones on one hand, right? They're just like, we watch Elf, we watch Home Alone, we watch It's a Wonderful Life, and we watch Muppet Christmas Carol, and then we have to start getting like really tangential (laughs) or we're going to be stuck with a lot of garbage, right? So like The Family Stone becomes a Christmas movie. A lot of British rom-coms become a Christmas movie just so you can make it through the season without burning out. Harry Potter. Harry a Potter. People, a lot of people think of Harry Potter as a Christmas movie, which makes no sense. There's a Christmas scene in it, and it's magical, <laughs> and there are bells in the score, and that's really all you need for a Christmas yeah. movie. Yeah. So, um, speaking of, we'll be back next week. Uh, which which movie do you want to cover next week? Should we do Home Alone? Let's do Home Alone. It's been a one, long time. One or two. Should we do a two for one? Ooh, let's do it. I'll watch okay. both Home Alones. Are you kidding me? I have nothing else to do. <laughs> let's watch both Home Alones. And let's talk about them next week. It's going to be the first time we've ever review, reviewed a movie that has Donald Trump in it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> what a milestone for this podcast. <laughs> Cannot wait. Speaking of Donald Trump, he uh, did a lot of retweeting of uh, Cousin Eddie last week. So full circle. Yep. Great. Anyway, remember to leave us a good rating and review. Subscribe to the Hive Mind podcast. Um, or subscribe to our Hive Mind newsletter, hivemind.substack.com, wherein we send links to all of our podcasts and write ups. Um, become a member of the Beehive on the membership page at thebeehive.com. Anything else? I don't think so. Happy, happy Christmas. Happy Christmas. The season has begun. We're excited about it. And we will be back next week. We need Macaulay Culkin to die of bees.